Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. What do you think is the biggest thing that, you know, if you could change one thing about selling on Amazon, um, what, what would it be? You know, I, I think it would, I think, you know, seller support and, you know, deal, you know, it's the Amazon like shoots first and ask questions later, right? Like, you know, they, you can have one customer complaint, your listing gets taken down. You can get negative reviews. You can't get that sort of investigated. Is this coming from a, you know, a competitor? Like, you know, it's just very difficult to, you know, solve issues. You could have a product get taken down. It could take you two months. You've submitted documents and invoices and whatever. They could take you two months. You know, I, I think that's, the biggest challenge is like dealing with somebody who's, you know, who has the time to look at something and is competent and is trying to help you. And generally with Amazon, it's like, you know, not necessarily the case. They have so many things coming in that I think a lot of times people overseas are just hitting a auto response button because they, they don't have the time to deal with that at that moment. And it's like, you know, let's see how many. One-sided, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just think so. add, you know. Yeah, Leroy, just to add to that. Yeah. So we we had one of our like our best selling products um suppressed. It was over five days ago now. I've opened probably 10 tickets. I've reached out to all my contacts on LinkedIn. Like you said, I've gotten just all it is is cut and paste response. Nobody, uh, you know, I called an act asked for the captive team. They no longer exist. If you didn't know that you can't even get the captive team anymore. You can't get the catalog team. Yep. So like I, you know, I went to school in North Dakota and there's a big call center for Amazon in North Dakota. So I'm thinking about like calling old friends and like having to go like <laughs> go to the Amazon campus there and, you know, demand some, some, you know, some fixes, but I think this, and but I should have expected this because this happens every year, right? Right before Q4, they always roll out, you know, new algorithm changes, new, they always pick something that they're going to crack down on, right? And this year it looks like listings. Mm-hmm. And like you said, uh, Leron, the biggest frustration though is that they suppress the listings and then go to you to make them fix them rather than have the AI do exactly what it does and say, hey, we scanned your listings, here are the issues these are the products that need to be fixed. If they're not fixed in X amount of time, then they will be suppressed. I think that is the most frustrating part of, of dealing with Amazon, especially um, in these instances is like you said, shoot first, ask questions later. It should be the other way around. It should be proactive. Like here, we're your selling partner. We don't want to take your product down. We don't want, I mean, the fact that I have to go now and open all, you know, ticket after ticket after ticket, it's wasting my time and their time. They're wasting money there rather than, you know, like I said, send me the email proactively and my team can take a look at it and and get it fixed rather than, you know, me having to go in and, and, you know, deal with it. I wonder how many wasted man hours they have Oh, simply because they have so many of us calling them going, what the heck? And then they don't know what to say because they don't know what the heck is going on. Right. Because all these automated decisions are made. And, um, you know, they're probably paying, I mean, probably seven figures in salary, in man hours, in efforts that are just completely wasted every year. Yeah. And, and like the things where they should be proactive, you know, are not necessarily like, you know, uploading uh, insurance, you know, liability insurance. Like they don't make you do that. Right. Like, <laughs> like you know, the areas where you should be proactive first before maybe allowing certain listings or you know, allowing, 
you know, Chinese sellers to open, you know, hundreds of accounts or like all these things over the years, like the areas where they should be proactive and you want them to be proactive, they're not, but, you know, taking stuff down, um, they are. But I mean, partly, you know, Amazon is huge, like seven figures is nothing, right? Like yeah. in terms of like expense to them that, you know, they, we are not their most, their most important thing is the customer and sellers are, you know, sec secondary. Um, you know. Yeah. So speaking of that, I mean, we don't we don't want to pick on Amazon too much. Yeah. We wouldn't be here having this conversation, hanging out if it wasn't for Amazon. Right. Um, all of us have made a lot of money with Amazon. We love them. They're great. Um, but yeah, that that would be that would be helpful to have you know a side, <laughs> a yeah. side in the whole thing. I, I think I'm with you, Liron, on that one being a big pet peeve. So. Let's talk about other marketplaces. We've had some emerging marketplaces, kind of, you know, Walmart has kind of been, I don't know what they're doing. I, I'd be interested to be kind of a fly on the wall in their, in their overall plan. But what are some of your favorite alternative marketplaces online right now? Yeah, I mean, the one I, the one I see maybe get, getting the most momentum probably is Walmart. Um, you know, I still think, I still see you know, five to 10% of what, you know, 20% would, you know, is probably the most I've seen for somebody like, you know, their sales on Walmart. But I do see, I do see Walmart. Yeah. Like you said, making more of an effort, um, making more improvements on their, on their advertising side, like, and, and in general that, that it could become a more viable place to sell, um, to sell products in, in the next few years. So, um, my general advice to sellers would be, you know, grow to seven figures at least first, or, or maybe even beyond seven figures. And then maybe look at that because I've also seen people take their eye off the ball with Amazon and, you know, everybody wants to sell, you know, 50% somewhere else, but it's not really so realistic, you know, for most people. So I still think you should put a lot of your focus on Amazon, especially this year, because Amazon has just grown so much this year, but COVID has also been an opportunity for some of these other places like Walmart to, to gain some market share when Amazon did have you know, problems delivering products. So um, I would look to that. Um, I think in the next few years, it'll be interesting to see if Facebook and Instagram um, you know, become, become a more viable um, place. But you know, I still think for, for most of us that are here, um, and know sort of how to navigate Amazon, it's likely 90%, you know, plus of oh, your, yeah. plus of I your. think that Walmart is a good opportunity. I also think that there's some retailers, some current brick and mortar retailers who are making some serious pivots and there, we're going to see more of an opportunity. Those sellers who are, um, those sellers who kind of know how to navigate that and really understand their logistics. I think it comes down to logistics you know, because like you said, Liron, if you're, if you don't have everything figured out with Amazon, where you kind of have a team dedicated to that and you're checking on things and you're, you really have that dialed in. I've also seen people expand way too fast to other Amazon marketplaces. I have a couple of clients that are in that position and now they're trying to pull out of Europe or they're trying to, you know, they just expanded way too fast before they had their numbers right. And now they're in the hole and trying to correct, course correct things. So I think it's like a, about knowing your numbers, knowing your logistics, getting things streamlined. And then when you have that ready, like, like for us with Walmart, we started with like one product in Walmart and we just wanted to just, all right, 
How's this channel doing, right? Can we, can we make sure we can find that product? Same thing you do when you start out on Amazon with your first product. Right? right. You make sure you learn how to do PPC. You learn how to, you know, how does the algorithm work? How does the search work? You know, how do ads work? And so, you know, it, it's like not something that we're going to just like shift our whole catalog immediately, you know, but I'm definitely seeing some cool things going on with some of the online retailers like Macy's.com, Target.com, um, uh, Home Depot, Lowe's, like they're really, they're opening up their marketplaces and those are easier to apply for now. So I think if you figure out something like Walmart, um, you're gonna be able to, and you have your logistics in check, which right. these other marketplaces also require, you're gonna be able to make that shift a lot easier. But I would recommend, like you said, master one thing at a time. And then right. once you feel like you've got that going, go, okay, where's my next big opportunity? You know, yeah. one of the biggest questions I always get is like, well, where else should I sell besides Amazon or should I sell in Amazon Australia? Should I sell in Amazon Canada? And I always go, well, go research it. You know, what does the competition look like there? What do your numbers look like there? Right. You don't want to go in blind. Yep. And so. I think you want to think about also for your type of product, is it a product that you should try to build, you know, your own Shopify, your own audience to, or is it, you know, or is it more of a marketplace, you know, type product? There's some products that are going to lend themselves to brand. And there's some, you know, if I'm selling, you know, uh, you know, a doorknob, right. Then like, that's going to be, that that's probably not something I'm going to like sell a lot through a site or a brand, but that could be good, like marketplace type type product or, you know, uh, very generic commodity type type product that some people have had a lot of success with over the last, you know, especially if you got in at a good time uh, on Amazon, but they may not make sense for your brand um, or to build a brand around in a website or think about, you know, do you want to invest in, um, you know, in doing, in doing your own site? You know, I've seen sellers get to a certain size, like, you know, four or 5 million in sales on Amazon and then use some of those profits to think about building their own, you know, their own website, their own social media influencers and invest in those kind of things. And, you know, you're building like an asset when, when you're doing that. I just think you want to, you know, they say, you know, keep the most important thing, the most important thing, which is for the most part, um, I think Amazon is just easier in terms of like having, having a uh, success. I think it's easier to figure out. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it depends on the product. Like you said, you know, if you don't have something really unique, if it's just, you know, Hey, you're selling duct tape. Right. Well, that's probably going to, you know, or a doorknob. Okay, great. Yeah. But if you have a doorknob that has a fingerprint reader on it and it's unique, well, then your brand presence off Amazon is going to become important because, you know, you can definitely expand beyond Amazon into some of those other marketplaces because you have that in, you have that unique side of things. So, you know, and all of us know how important external traffic is to Amazon. So the, the better product that you have, where you have some of that diverse traffic coming in and you can get in some of that free organic traffic, some of those assets can be very easy to build for somebody that has a wow product, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're just trying to make some sales, you're just trying to do the commodity thing. Well, yeah, I agree with you 100%, like figure out the Amazon game, play it well. Yep. Um, so tell us about what you have going on, Leron. Like you went from, you know, selling on Amazon kind of, and you've got so you know, a new podcast. I've loved some of your oh, yeah. recent posts. I love your uh, cartoon character thing that you oh, got. 
on your podcast. And so, and you've got a consulting business now. So tell us uh, what you got going on. Are you still selling at Amazon and, yep. and what's, what's your future? Yeah. Um, so I have, uh, I, uh, I sold one brand and I, I have another brand that I, I still sell on. Um, and then I'm advising a company that's um, buying, buying Amazon brands um, that right now own like five different uh, pet, pet brands, um, including the one brand that was acquired recently, you can look up, it's called Paw5 um, in the pet space um, and looking to, to acquire more, more brands. So that's kind of fun to, to, you know, look at potential, look at potential brands and, and advise there. Um, and then uh, I also run a, an ads agency. So where I'm spending a lot of my time now is on the, the on the PPC side. Um, we could talk a little bit about DSP also, because that's kind of, um, I would say an emerging area, but I can kind of talk to uh, a little bit of the hype around it and what the truth is uh, around DSP. Um, but uh, focusing a lot on, uh, on the Amazon ad side. So we, we manage, we have over a hundred brand sellers or whatever that stores that we manage their, um, their advertising. Um, and um, that's where I'm putting, uh, I guess, a good part of my focus. And then I'm also helping sellers. I'm working with a startup that's helping sellers in lending. So in inventory financing and kind of um, innovative way, instead of lending all the money upfront, they're doing it like overtime as you need it for your first order for your next shipment for your future orders and you end up paying less interest so that's um kind of fun and, and interesting uh also so that's um and then i still have one one original brand that i i started back in 2015 um that's got more seasonal products that i'm that i'm selling so um and i talk you know i talk to so i talk to a lot of sellers like every every day you know i'm having conversations with with sellers all the time. And yeah, I have the podcast, uh, e-commerce mindset and the Facebook group. So I'm just like, you know, um, I, I had, uh, I had the opportunity recently to help a seller, um, that was on shark tank, um, get their product, uh, launched on, uh, on Amazon. Um, it was kind of, it was interesting. I spoke to them two weeks ago and they were in a Vegas hotel, um, shark tank moved their shooting. It'll be on in, in this season, shark tank moved their shooting to Vegas and it was him and his partner. They both had to be in separate rooms and they had to be in the room a week. They couldn't leave the room. They had to get food just delivered three times a day because of COVID. Um, they were, they had to be quarantined, you know, a full week before, before the show um, started. But, um, and, and the interesting story about those guys is they had a very, very successful Shopify product over a million dollars this year in sales. And literally this past week, just put the product on Amazon and we haven't started running ads yet. And the product's already selling. Like they had um, over 10,000 branded searches a month on Amazon before they even got there. And, and in fact, they had a competitor that somebody on Amazon that almost copied, they're probably going to go after them now, but almost copied their logo identically because they were going after sort of their branded, you know, searches and advertising on their brand and name. But that kind of shows the sort of the opposite of what we were just talking about, right? Of you know, you can also do very well on Amazon by building your brand. If you, if you know Amazon. how to do it well, building your yeah. brand really well off Amazon. And then those branded searches are going to convert really, really well. And we see that with PPC, right? We see branded searches converting at, you know, 70, 80% with a very low A cost as opposed to yeah. more, more category terms. So it's also something to, um, to think about. Um, and then, yeah, and then we're starting to also work with, with DSP. Um, I could talk a little bit about, about DSP. There's been a lot of 
um, I think talk in the last six months uh, about DSP and about like the ROAS that you see um, with DSP. Um, but I think it's, I, and I, what I've seen is I've seen sellers that I would say are too small wanting to jump into DSP and it's not necessarily the, the right thing. And I, I'll, give, I'll give kind of a, a brief explanation to it because I think it's important. Um, so DSP, for those that don't know, is something called Demand Side Platform. It's an advertising program that Amazon has that allows you, um, you don't have access to this through Seller Central's, vendors don't have direct access. You get access, uh, in fact, Amazon reps a lot of times will reach out to you, kind of soliciting you to run DSP. Um, typically through Amazon, there's a $35,000 commitment. Amazon will let you do this usually over a couple months. So like they'll want 15,000 a month. I've seen them recently even lower that sum for people to get them into it. Um, and I've also seen other, you know, agencies and people talk about DSP and talk about the return on ad spend that you see on DSP. And so with DSP, there's different levels of targeting. So what these are, are display kind of ads. Um, and there's a variety of targeting that you could do. And sometimes you'll see people talking about a, a really good return on ad spend, um, especially with retargeting. So there's retargeting in sponsored product. Um, you know, you could do it under sponsored display audiences. The retargeting there is different than what you're seeing with DSP. The difference is that you have more control with DSP. Um, with sponsored products, um, this with display, uh, retargeting targets people that have seen your products. It also targets people that have seen other people's products, similar products. Um, with DSP, you could target people who have just seen your products also within a certain time frame of days. But the thing is that the results, both on sponsored product side and on the DSP side, um, are not just people who clicked on the ad and came back and bought the product. The results are also views, okay? So that means if you have a product and you know, somebody's on CNN.com or Fox News or, or, or a third-party site, or they happen to scroll across your display ad on Amazon and just happen to view it, um, and then they were going back to that product anyway to buy, that sale gets attributed to DSP because they viewed the ad. They didn't necessarily click it, but they viewed the ad. They scrolled past the ad. And so some of the results that you're seeing with retargeting is really just partially cannibalizing or partially would have, you would have gotten those anyway through, through organic. And so the results are a little bit inflated where, where DSP kind of makes more sense is doing retargeting, but also doing what's called mid, fun, mid funnel or upper funnel targeting, like showing your ad to people who have viewed competitor products, showing your ad to customers that are interested in, you know, your segment, your niche of products. The thing is that it's not as sexy because the return on ad spend is not as good. The, 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 the results you'll see are not as good. You're, you're going to see a one and a half or a two row as, and when people translate that into ACOS, it's 50, 60, 70%, and it's not as good. But the main thing you want to think about with DSP is driving other metrics other than return on ad spend. And that's why it's meant more for bigger brands. Um, so things like new to brand customers, how many impressions you're getting, how it's growing your overall sales, how many more branded sales you're getting through your sponsored products um, on the Amazon side. Um, and so I, I, I'm seeing more smaller sellers saying, hey, I wanna do DSP, but then disappointed when they do it, that it doesn't really, that they're doing retargeting, but it doesn't really grow their overall sales so much, very much. Um, and so I would say if you're spending, you know, 25,000 plus on, on Amazon ads and you're interested more in like brand building, then DSP is something you should maybe look at, but also 
that there's there's a certain level of hype around DSP right now that you need to um, investigate further to see if it makes sense for your brand. Yeah, we, it, and it's interesting too, because uh, Lira, I don't, I don't know if you uh, got this feedback from clients and, and some of the people you work with. Like you said, it's for bigger brands and and you you know a lot of people are, are probably gonna be disappointed with the results if they're looking at, you know, like you were saying, return on ad spend um, and, and kind of the, it's more of a, um, a brand play than it is like a sales play, right? So it's yep. to get your brand out there to get people to know who you are. So it's somebody who's probably maybe even transitioning from like seven to eight figures or, you know, kind of the, the brands yep. that are really trying to grow quickly um, yep. and, and maybe have some good funding behind them. Um, but don't expect if you go into that program to, to get, you know, a bunch of money, a bunch of sales, um, unless you have something super, um, you know, super, new and, and crazy that people are going to, you know, it's going to blow their minds. It probably won't be the, the, the biggest, uh, you know, return on ad spend there. Yeah. And, and, and the few, a few things al along with that is um, number one, there's certain categories and certain types of products where it does make more sense than others. So if you have consumable products, it makes a lot more sense. You can not only do retargeting, you can also do something called remarketing, which is targeting people that have bought your product in the past, but let, let's say you have a product that people official that people should be buying every month. You could target people who bought your product more than 30 days ago, but haven't bought in the last 30 or 35 days, for example, right? So like you're trying not to cannibalize your organic, but showing your product to people who've bought it in the past. Or you are just in general, in terms of like targeting competitors or retargeting, you can absorb a higher, you can absorb a lower return on ad spend because you're trying to buy that customer and, and get a lifetime value on that customer. So that's, it's more worthwhile when you're, you know, health and beauty supplements, consumable products makes more sense. Or if you have higher price products, right? Retargeting also starts to make more sense because there's a long, you know, uh, Amazon calls this a consideration period, right? There's a longer period of, you know, if you're selling, you know, an elliptical machine that's, you know, $800 or a thousand dollars or whatever, then somebody is not necessarily looking at that, at looking and buying all at the same time on that product, right? They're looking, they're doing some research, they're coming back a few days later, they're talking to their, you know, a family member about it, right? Like it's a longer decision process and it makes more sense to retarget. And when you have that higher price product, um, you know, you, that additional cost, you have the margins and the, the profit per sale to, to like absorb it. So, for those types of products, you know, it can make more sense. And then, yeah, I would agree with you that like generally, you know, it's for people who have bigger budgets um, behind them or they're already like, you know, yeah, four or $5 million in sales. They're spending, you know, $25,000, $50,000 a month on sponsored products. And, and, and as well, you have these products that kind of make more sense for them in the category and that ROAS is not the main metric you should be measuring. Also, when you do this with Amazon, you could do this through Amazon, you could do this through through agencies. When you do this with Amazon, you wanna have a very good understanding because I did this with Amazon before I had an ad agency, before I could do DSP. I did it a few years ago with Amazon and I spent 50 grand and I didn't even get like a 2X return on my ad spend. You know, I, I lost money doing it. And I didn't even understand the targeting. I didn't, Amazon didn't even tell me. I didn't even, you know, like they didn't tell me what percentage of my money they're putting on retargeting and what percentage they're putting on competitor. I just knew DSP, it's an advertising opportunity. Amazon contacted me and then they just 
blew my money, you know, really, really quickly. And so I think if you're going to do this and if Amazon approaches you and you want to test it, then you should at least have an understanding, like what percentage are we putting into retargeting into bottom of phone? What percentage are we putting into competitor? Like, what do you think is a reasonable, you know, what, what can I expect, you know, out of this? And uh, obviously nobody's going to give you a guarantee, but understanding the product better is going to, you know, allow you to kind of make better, better uh, decisions. Um, and if you want to, you can also test some of the stuff on a small scale there. It's not the same, but you can test audiences on sponsored product side with retargeting just to see also like how it performs. Um, even though generally DSP is a little bit more targeted, you can, you can um, probably get some better results with DSP retargeting, but you can still test this beforehand um, just in sponsored products with any budget you want to see what kind of perform performance you're getting. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to say before I say this, I'm not bashing Amazon employees at all here, but a lot of times, a lot of, when you get these, uh, uh, you know, people reaching out to you, they might've only worked for the company for like three months. It's happened to me a lot of times and I'll talk to them and I'll be like, you don't really even know your own platform. And like I said, it's not a bash because Amazon employees move around a lot, but what I, what, what Leron's saying, which is completely on point is make sure you understand what you're getting into before you pull a trigger on a spend like that. Because unless you really know the, the ad platform and been in the game for a while and really understand it, you know, their, their job is to make more money for Amazon. Right. So like I said, not yeah. a bash, that's their job and they might've not been doing it for a while. So just be really careful with that. Yeah. Andy, I, you know, I I'm probably on one to two calls per week with an Amazon ad rep. Um, sometimes with, with my client or sometimes without, because what happens is the Amazon ad reps email my clients and they say, hey, we'd love to schedule a call. And then the client says, hey, do you mind getting on the call? And I always get on the call because my clients ask me to, but ahead of time, I know it's like, it's kind of a sales pitch. Like basically the, the Amazon rep is just trying to get my client to spend more money. And generally they have a specific agenda on the types of ads. So for example, I know internally they have goals to get people to spend more on the newer ad types, on sponsored brands and sponsored display and upper funnel type stuff and DSP. And I, I've had Amazon reps on these calls tell, tell me like, hey, you should move budget over from like sponsored product, you know, uh, product attribution targeting, ASIN targeting over to sponsored display. And I'm like, no, we, we already target both. Like whatever performs, like we, we target. Like, but they like telling me specifically like, hey, you should move budget because like, I know that aligns with their goals. So like, uh, I always tell my clients like, yeah, I'm happy to jump on these calls and I do, but like 95% of the time, like mostly it's, it's a waste of my time. It's the same thing with these Amazon uh, account reps that reach out to brands and for vendor accounts and try to get them, they, they make all these big promises and, you know, or the, the Amazon reps that go and try to get factories to sign up, you know, they just make all these promises and like, Hey, you know, you can be making all this money. And that doesn't mean those factories and stuff know how to run a business uh, right. in terms of in, on e-commerce, right. They know how to manufacture things. And so, and same thing with vendors that are in brick and mortar and, you know, they get these pitches from Amazon and, you know, so many of them are not prepared. They don't know anything about keywords. They don't know any, and I'm like, you know, they'll come to me and I'm like, okay, guys, you just like you have a team that's dedicated for Costco, 
you need a team that's dedicated for Amazon. You, it, this is a whole big learning curve. They will, uh, private label sellers on Amazon will smash you. They will crush you like a cockroach. Like you, yep. you have to understand this stuff. So it's the, it's the same thing, you know, it's, it's sales and it's good yep. to have, uh, it's good that they have those account reps and sometimes they could be helpful, but you do have to remember, it's just like us selling services, right? I mean, of course we want to have the best interest yes. of our, our clients in mind, yes. but we're still selling a service, right? Yeah, so- absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, I would say that if the, if a rep does reach out to you, sometimes they have access to certain data that you don't have that mm. is useful. Um, so, you know, um, I've seen data, you know, I've, I've clients that sell, sell consumable products and Amazon will show them like 65% of people order a second time. Like that's something you don't necessarily have, or they'll show you, you know, this consideration period. They'll show you like on your sponsor products, 37% of people buy the same day, you know, 40% are buying, you know, two weeks later. And then another, the rest are buying 90 days later. So sometimes they will show you uh, access to certain data that could be helpful, but um, you know, like you said, as far as like selling a service, you know, if I uh, don't do the right thing, I get fired by a client, right? And Amazon rep doesn't really have consequences. If they got your 35,000 for DSP, well, they just, you know, moved one step closer towards their goal. And there's no, there's, there is no consequence, right? Like, so they're not, they're not always aligned with you. And I think as long as you remember that and utilize you know, utilize Amazon for data and certain things that they have that you don't have, but just know in your mind that ultimately, yeah, these are employees with certain goals and those goals don't always, um, you know, align with you. I had a client today who sent me something like Amazon emailed them a file to like optimize their stuff. And that stuff is being done in India by, yeah, by people who don't fully understand keywords and things like that. And I would be very hesitant to allow Amazon to give me a file to just upload, you know, into my, uh, into my sponsored product. So I think it's just being aware and, and, um, you know, of, of, uh, of what's going on and like having a certain understanding. That's why it's good to be part of, you know, communities like this one and Facebook groups where you can post and say, Hey, who, you know, when Amazon optimized your stuff, did you have a good experience when you did DSP through an Amazon rep, what was it like? And being able to ask questions and get other people's experiences, I think is, um, you know, it's why, it's why, why we have these, uh, these groups. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and Leron, I agree with you, you know, it, those account managers can get you great data, you know, just, just don't use the files they send you, you know, ask them, Hey, what time of day am I, you know, is my PPC converting the most? And, you know, all that data that they don't give you up front, uh, definitely worth utilizing that. On that point, um, it's been leaked now, so we, we can't get in trouble with, uh, with the NDAs and stuff. Uh, Amazon's been, uh, is going to release some uh, some automations, right? Right straight into the platform. Do you uh, you know do you see the automations you know being as good as some of the third party solutions out there? Because um, I know that you know a lot of the stuff Amazon's been rolling out, and they've admitted this. They like want to give you every feature that you need in order to work on the platform. Um, you know w- what kind of things do you think they're, that that they're going to automate uh, moving forward? Yeah, I mean the one the one thing I saw with um, automation recently is uh, things like budget uh, budget increases and uh, based on based on certain targets and performance. Um, I think that's that's good. Um, yeah, there are already tools out there that that have it. Um, I think Amazon to some extent will probably be behind the curve. Um, like I think if you if you don't have those tools or if you're not using them or if you're managing things manually then it's probably useful to you. But if you have good tools in place, um, 
you know, then like, for example, on our end with, with Prime Day, we're already putting in automations through tools we use to increase budgets by 50%, you know, the two days before Prime Day, increase budgets 100% on Prime Day, at least on the campaigns where, where we feel it makes sense and bring it back down to, to zero, right? I can't do that right now. And that's the kind of stuff that um, I think you'll be able to do with, with Amazon. I think that's useful, but to some extent, Amazon, I think, waits until some of the tools validate things that people want and that they develop and they see and that they learn and then they they go and you know um and steal implement them. that but oh, i think no. <laughs> what's, yeah, steal, exactly. I, I said steal but but implement's probably a better word no but <laughs> yeah yeah but, but i think i think the tools are again they're kind of a little bit more incentivized to bring things out and bring things out quickly it's a competitive you know landscape in terms of software companies and you know, implementing things that people want and staying ahead of the curve, like you're you're more incentivized by your customers to innovate and do that than, you know, uh, Amazon will. That that being the case, you know, I think that's a good thing. If you happen to be using a, a PPC tool that that doesn't have those features, then you know, getting that within Amazon, I think, is useful. And you know, it seems to me like it'll probably work the way it's the way it's intended to. So I think that's I think that I think it's a good thing. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's, it's probably not, um, not as advanced as, you know, um, you know, some, some tools already have. Yeah. And I also think that Amazon's not in a huge hurry to do that. Right. I think they are deploying stuff when they absolutely have to, and people are demanding it because it makes them less money, right? The more you optimize your ads, the less money they make. So yep. it doesn't necessarily and, behoove them. <laughs> yes. And what they're putting out is stuff that, you know, like this is a increase my budget if I'm not, you know, if I'm performing, but I don't think there's going to be a decrease my budget if I'm not. Right. right? So like <laughs> right. The, stuff that, the stuff that they're going to put out, I think is also beneficial to Amazon. And again, tools are more and more incentivized to put stuff out that benefits your paying customer, um, you know, versus Amazon. So I think it's, I think it's a good thing, but if you have great tools, then you're, you probably already have some of these things um, in place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, last thing, the last question we have time for, which is a very important one because it's it's super interesting. I, I've seen this question answered so many different ways right now, and uh, you know, s some people think it's controversial, things like that. But uh, it, to me, it's just it's it's uh, interesting. In 2020, how has your launch process changed? Are you, are you doing discounts? Are you doing rebates? Are you doing chatbots? Um, you know, they, there's always all this controversy, right? You get, you get these posts that say, oh, if you do a rebate, you're going to get banned and, you know, all these things. What, what's your current process and how yeah. has it changed or evolved? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the, the, uh, it's a two-step process. And the, the first thing I do is, well, so I utilize a few things, part of my launch process. But I would say the first thing is, uh, is utilizing ads, right? You have, you have this, uh, what everybody calls this honeymoon period, right, where, um, your product gets more love in the search algorithm when you when you launch. There's a couple of reasons for it. I think number one, Amazon wants new products to be discovered. It's beneficial, especially if you're pricing better, right? Like it's to Amazon's benefit if you have a lower priced product that's available to a customer. Also, you don't have any negative sales history on a product. So if it has really good sales history and because time is a factor in the search algorithm, you get the benefit of a new product that does well out of the gate in terms of in terms of um, ranking. So um, so we know that exists. So getting aggressive with advertising, 
um, and getting sales, I think is should be your your goal. I also like to drive like natural behavior, which is why I think doing it through PPC is the best way you can do it because you're getting people to, it, you're not just getting, um, let's say rebate buyers that are probably checking out in 30 seconds and it's not the necessarily natural behavior versus somebody scrolling through the listing, they're buying, they're buying at your full price, right? I think a combination of being somewhat aggressive on price with aggressive ads, um, what I do is exact match targeting and ASIN targeting, utilizing top of search, like 900% top of search placement, 900% product placement, bid up and down, like a more aggressive strategy with a price that I think I can get conversions, whatever, whatever that price is, but not crazy low because you're gonna lose momentum if you raise your price too fast in the algorithm. So that's, that's kind of my plan. Now, if, if after two week period, I'm not where I am, then I might consider using some search find by service or way to, to get those sales to, to get some kind of push. But I've seen success just on Amazon PPC. And I think along with that, you need to use having access and using like the Vine program, getting reviews along the way, um, you know, and being being aggressive on price is the best way to to launch products. And again, I've seen I've seen a lot of products have success. I don't believe that uh, rebates are going to get you banned. I think what gets you in big trouble is the amount of reviews you're getting and getting reviews from like low quality buyers that Amazon has flagged and, and recognizes. And that's when you run into, you know, potential issues. But uh, I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't see people getting, I don't see mass suspensions over rebates alone. I think it's more review manipulation, at least right now that Amazon is, is concerned about. Yeah, I think it comes down to, and we've said this over and over again, guys, is is you want your traffic to look natural, right? Like if you're doing only one thing, Amazon's, you know, they, they've got, you know, probably something similar to Google Analytics, right, for their entire platform. So they can pull up a product and they can literally look at the graph and see like, wait a minute, why is every sale coming from this one channel, right? And it's going to, that's going to, and they probably have AI that automatically flags that. So, I mean, really what it comes down to is, is, you know, making your traffic look as natural as possible. So like, uh, like Liron was saying, like super aggressive PPC, uh, you know, combined with discounts, combined with rebates, combined with micro influencers, combined with, you know, some type of offset traffic, whether it's like Facebook, uh, Google ads, something like that. I mean, really, that's what I love to do is just, uh, you know, I, I, I call it the spaghetti, right? Just throw all the noodles against the wall and see what sticks, just like get super aggressive with it. Um, and, and I think, you know, that looks the most natural. It gets you kind of the most momentum really quickly, but you have to be, you realize that you're probably going to be in the red. People don't realize when they launch an Amazon, you know, you might not expect to make a profit on that product, especially in a competitive niche for months, you know, it could be six months, but if you, as long as you have a plan and you plot that out and you know that after month six, you know, okay, now I'm making this much profit. I can start dialing stuff back because now I'm organically ranked. And then the next month I can dial it back a little bit more and, and they, they've got that long game. So guys, when it comes to launching right now, I think that's, you know, still the winning formula. Um, and, and, you know, I definitely think that's how you can deploy mount now and, and, and be successful. Yeah. And I think you, I think you also want to focus on those, making sure you have some of those long tail keywords in your, in your title and that you're going after them with ads and, you know, you're able to get that visibility because you can really gain quick ranking, you know, just after going after not such competitive terms, this, this, this client that um, I told you about that, that, um, you know, is on, is on going to be on Shark Tank. Um, we haven't even launched ads yet, but they're getting all these branded searches. And I just checked now, 
And they are on page one for a keyword with 3,300 searches and they're alive for maybe three days. And they're on page one. Why? There aren't as many competitors with people with the, those exact, it's actually two words that are in their title that get a decent amount of searches. And when I look further down the page, other people already don't have those words in, in their title. And so they already have, you know, positioning for a keyword with, you know, that gets hundred searches a day. Um, and they've gotten sales, right? Because people are, people are searching for their brand name and they're, they already started to get sales and conversions and they're already showing up and we haven't even turned on ads. They don't have reviews. Um, but, but it, it is possible, you know, if you're able to, uh, you know, have the right strategy with, with keywords, I, I, I think you can gain ranking, um, you know, without necessarily all, all the, you know, manipulation. I think it's, I think it's just the right strategy and the yeah. right product. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so if people don't know, uh, what Leron's talking about, so, so midtail, right? So what I always like to say is go midtail, but then keep your, um, your target keyword in that, in that mid to long tail keyword, right? So in other words, if water bottle is your main keyword, right? You would want to do like dual insulated water bottle or, you know, water bottle, uh, for bikes or, you know, in other words, that water bottle, that root keyword is still in the, the keywords that you're targeting. And that's going to give you juice for, for those keywords, even though you're not, targeting that exact phrase, um, th that is the winning form formula. Because if you try to go, you know, up against the, those kind of entrenched competitors who have already ranked for those top tier keywords, you're going to have a lot harder time ranking. So during that honeymoon, that those mid to long tail keywords are really uh, kind of the sweet spot. So absolutely yeah. guys, uh, that's a great uh, suggestion. And, yeah, and, and, and if you're, and, and you're more, you, you might be more likely to convert. I mean, you may have you know, other water bottles ranking on that page of dual insulator, but maybe those aren't dual insulator, right? And if your product is and you go kind of more more targeted and specific on your keywords, you're also going to be more likely to convert and be able to compete without the same number of reviews because you're exactly what the person is searching for versus maybe the other products on the page. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, for tuning in today. We really appreciate that. We uh, You got the treat of having this this whole episode live. Um, we, we only do this once in a while. So you guys got a special treat today. You get to, to watch it right away. You don't have to wait the few weeks till we push it out. Um, as usual guys, thank you so much for, uh, subscribing. And if you don't mind, uh, give us a rating and re review. We really appreciate it. We are going to end the live broadcast right now. And only those in the zoom meeting are going to be able to ask us questions after this. We call it extra innings. If you guys want to in on that, make sure that you join us live 1 PM Pacific every Tuesday. You get to be in the Zoom meeting. You get to interact with us. Uh, Liron's not going to charge his, you know, $300 an hour that he normally does to talk one-on-one -on -one with you. So make sure you guys join us live. Uh, we always love to have you guys in here live. And for those of you listening to the podcast, we will see you next time on the Seller Roundtable. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.